One of the biggest challenges and I would submit opportunities I've seen between my last book, Co-Create, and the next one, the focus of this podcast, Curvebenders, has been the awesome responsibility we have to ourselves and our organizations, that of driving our continual evolution toward a well-defined future state. Implied in this role is the need to lead change in ourselves, our teams, and our organizations. Easily said, complex, difficult, and often painful in practice. Navigating change has been prevalent in business, management, and leadership literature for decades. Even with a plethora of books, articles, consultants, and experts, personal and organizational change efforts generally produce moderate success at best. Why? To quote something I read recently, change would be easy if it didn't involve people. You see, we all are wired for free will. Change requires us to alter established and often very comfortable behavior patterns. With self-imposed change, redesigning our patterns is challenging enough. There can be an additional layer of resistance in an organizational setting where change is triggered or mandated by someone or something outside ourselves because the motivation stimulating behavioral pattern redefinition is not our own. Join me on this episode of the Curvebenders podcast as we tackle the changes you must make to remain relevant. Hi there, this is David Knorr, host of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm excited to share insights with you at the intersection of the future of work and strategic relationships. Make no mistake about it, there are a number of forces in the next two decades that will dramatically change the way we live, the way we work, the way we play, and the way we serve others. And I believe there are these relationships that will come into our lives that can change both the direction and destination of where we're headed. Those are the individuals I call curvebenders. So in each episode, I want to share with you insights from our research, from our interviews of great guests and their incredible experiences. I want to invite people to share their ideas and examples of not just coaches and mentors, but real curvebenders that have had a profound impact on their lives. Specifically, we're going to talk about pragmatic ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, and your behaviors. So let's get started. The Curvebenders podcast is supported by global clients of the Nor Group's advisory, speaking, education, and coaching services. One example is Samsung Electronics America B2B Mobile, providing enterprise customers with tailored business solutions to help them thrive in a time of fundamental industry transition. As a longtime supplier of mobile devices for the enterprise market, Samsung B2B Mobile offers the rugged Tab Active Pro, a renewed commitment to its B2B partner program, AppStack to deliver Knox verified apps, a partnership with IBM Cloud, and developer tools to support building apps across the Samsung ecosystem. With over a billion devices installed across 15,000-plus enterprises globally, Samsung B2B Mobile is poised to win the industrial and purpose-built device category. Organizations seeking to use smart software to automate processes require intelligent devices, 
advanced processing power to run AI models on mobile devices, multiple cameras and enhanced software to support improved scanning, as well as augmented and virtual reality. From paperless workflow, mobile workforce, mobile first responders, to connected fleet solutions, business video and business security, Samsung B2B mobile smartwatches, smartphones, and tablets continue to change how work gets done. Learn more at samsung.com slash US slash business. Welcome to episode 11 of the Curvebenders podcast. We're tackling a tough topic today, that of change in you, your team, your organization. Uh, most of us know that change is uh, really easy to talk about. It's incredibly difficult and complex to implement, and much more importantly, uh, kind of make change last, right? Beyond any individual initiative, beyond uh, any great idea that somebody comes up with from corporate or from otherwise, if we're asked to change somehow, uh, or worst yet, charismatic leaders, right? People that we love and we would go through walls for, and then that person leaves. And have you seen those great ideas falter? and get forgotten, and we kind of revert back to that organizational inertia that we've always done the way we've done things. And I could use a whole bunch of different cliches of how change is a lot of times maybe exciting to talk about and cool and sexy, and and it's painful because most of us um, like routines. Most of us, listen, I get up at the same time every day and I like my coffee and my routine and kind of what we do and how we do it. And most of us are that way. And, and one of the funniest is I've heard is, is the only people that like change are actually babies with dirty diapers. Rest of us resisted. Rest of us just kind of push back and we're just, yeah, it's interesting to talk about, but we're really deep down, not often that excited about it. So uh, in this session, I want to uh, tackle a couple of different things. If you hear, by the way, paper shuffling, um, I've got typically a ton of research all around me, and I'm going to reference uh, some of the things we found uh, and that I think will be of interest to you. By the way, the content for the Curvebenders book is coming along really nicely. Here's just some of the chapters. Some of you know uh, I've got six grad students doing some really interesting social science research for me. Uh, I've written a, a great deal already. I'm out talking about some of these ideas extensively, certainly have integrated into some of our coaching and consulting work. I've also interviewed, uh, I think I'm up to 104 different executives uh, between these podcasts, but also clients, uh, people I admire immensely for different sections of the book. So uh, I'm going to start with uh, introduction, Don't Doubt Ways, uh, Portuguese Explorers and Cartography, which is actually the art and science of map making. Uh, if you remember the premise is none of us can predict the future. So uh, how do we start planning for it? And starts by having a map. Obviously, the future of life, how we'll work, live, play, and give. Um, talking about 15 forces that create headwind, tailwind, and turbulence. Uh, talk about remaining relevant. What, how do you, through reflection, uh, think about your competency and behavioral gaps in your now to next? Uh, talk about the importance of relationships and their significance. Your personal S-curve. I've always been fascinated by that. What does it look like? How do we com- continue to reinvent ourselves? Destigmatizing vulnerability, candor, and failure. 
So that'll be interesting to talk about. Finding your curve benders. So who are these relationships? Where are they? How do we uh, make sure we're open to meeting and engaging them? Becoming a curve bender in the lives of others. Uh, beyond the life of success to one of significance. Uh, the best of use to still come. And uh, I'm uh, fascinated by Marshall Goldsmith. And uh, I think his next book is called An Earned Life. So I'm uh, trying to see if Marshall would be kind enough to uh, write a section. So stay tuned. We're going to talk a lot more about those chapters in uh, the upcoming podcast. But I just want to give you a glimpse into kind of, uh, again, the content that's coming along nicely on the Curve Vendors book. Um, in terms of today's podcast, three key sections. I've broken into kind of five uh, kind of subsections that I want to talk about. Uh, I'm going to start with my uh, fundamental mindset shifts. One of the challenges that I continue to see after having uh, published the last book, uh, Co-Create, and writing this next one is uh, a lot of people like the ideas that I write about and I talk about. They're really difficult uh, and sometimes painful to implement. And I'll talk about some common threads and common themes in clients who are really successful, both as individuals that I coach, but also teams and organizations, and those that seem to do okay. So we'll talk about that. I'm going to start with fundamental mindset shifts. Next, I'm going to jump into key trends we're seeing in the market. I've made a list of uh, working with very broad, I'm blessed, I work with very broad types of organizations So and, and across a whole bunch of different industries. So what are some common threats and trends that we're seeing in the market? I want to talk about some frameworks. I've always believed what I call the elevator ride is really important. You need to understand the theoretical constructs, but theories on paper are great. What happens with application, examples, ideas, case studies, and then much more importantly, implementation, right? So I already know a lot of this stuff. Um, what does that mean to you? And how will you go apply any of these to improve your condition? So I think frameworks for change in ourselves, our teams, our organizations are important to talk about. I want to give you some counterintuitive insights. So there's, again, a ton of literature. I, you know, if you do a Google search on change, there's no short change management. There's no shortage of the stuff you're going to find. I get excited about the uh, uncommon thoughts or perspectives. So these counterintuitive insights, again, are these nuggets that we've observed over the years and, and in, in working with very broad types of companies and organizations. And then I want to really wrap it up with why we've, we kind of see people resist change. Where does that resistance come from? What's the cause of it? And how do we address some of those things? So again, uh, typical of these podcasts, ton of content to cover in a short amount of time. Uh, I would highly encourage you a couple of things. Uh, I'm taking the show notes from these podcasts and I turn them into uh, articles and we put those in our blog. Again, norgroup.com slash blog. If you have ideas, if you have questions, if you have perspectives, I would encourage you to email podcast at norgroup.com. That's podcast at norgroup, N-O-U-R group.com. And uh, I want to give you a teaser about the next episode. David Hutchins is a good friend, member of our cohort community, masterful storyteller, and uh, it goes globally helping clients uh, work on their storytelling. Uh, we have a joint program of storytelling for leadership influence. So he's going to be our guest on the next episode of uh, the Curve Vendors podcast, David Hutchins, on the future of storytelling. So let's start with really change management 
really managing leading change as a fundamental mindset shift, right? So one of the fascinating things uh, that I come across is I work with clients in really implementing relationship economics or implementing co-create or, or really talking about this idea of future of work and curve benders is um, – you know, common thread in amongst all that is is how do we make change last? And I'm fascinated by people who ask me in some ways like the Matrix movie vernacular, right? Do you have a blue or red pill that I can take and or give me the 12 steps that all of this will magically just kind of make itself work? And unfortunately, there isn't one. In my experience, a lot of what we're talking about, again, it starts, changes always start with the person in the mirror. And and you have to think of it as both a science. So I can certainly give you tips, techniques, steps to think about, but it's also an art. And the art is the situation. The art is what else you've got going on. The art is all that comes at us and demands of us on a regular basis. So you have to understand that step-by-step methodologies and frameworks, and those really important, and they look great on paper, I'm telling you, it, it, it seldom drives any kind of long-term sustainable change unless you shift your mindset. So over the years, here's just a handful of things that we've seen that I think would really resonate uh, with you. Um, I tell most of my clients, don't don't take me literally, but I tell most of my clients that I'm really cheap in July and December because that's our seasons in my work that it really slows down. July, most people, including our family, you know, we go on vacations and we kind of check out. And then December, same thing. We're all about the holidays and we're thinking of wrapping the year. And you know, most most things are on autopilot. Um, so I do I use those opportunities to really do a lot of due diligence during that time. And I think for most of us, we don't make enough time to think. So if your business happens to be seasonal, this is a fantastic opportunity to look at the numbers, really analyze what went well this past year and, and what do we need to do more or less of. But this past December, I actually went back and looked at the last 100 client engagements. I've been blessed. This is year 18 of the business. And I had a chance to really think through what were some of the fundamental differences between clients that did exceptionally well and those that just did okay. And I can tell you unequivocally that the ones that did phenomenally well had a very consistent common thread. You ready? A visionary leader. So change in many ways absolutely starts and ends with leaders. And, and I can gauge that very quickly because you hear things like, we tried that 20 years ago and it just kind of didn't work. Or you're never going to get that through HR or legal. So... <laughs> If you shut down new ideas out of the gate and you're out there espousing that we need to be innovative and push boundaries, yet you are the daily way you carry yourself, the day-to-day messaging reflects this risk aversion of the past, it's going to be very difficult for the rest of the team to come along and really embrace the changes you want to see, you want to implement. So most change management processes bypass a, a critical lever for that change, which is leadership behavior. And by the way, 
this also includes your own. So I'm going to talk a lot about changes you need to make in yourself, but also how do you really engage your team and hopefully lead a, 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 an organization to think about some of these things. So the leadership signals that are sent often undermine the carefully crafted PowerPoint presentation or words on a poster or all the other things we try to do in organizational communication. So you have to stop with the negative self-talk, right? Stop it. That, well, we tried this 20 years ago. It didn't work. Or, you know what? It's going to be, you know, I'm not sure I can do that. That that negative self-talk isn't helping you. More importantly, you may not recognize the signals that it's sending to the rest of the team. So a little vulnerability, right, from within you uh, and you as a leader, you as a person goes an incredible way, goes an incredibly long way in kind of making that change real and really bring it to fruition. Uh, number two, uh, people that are engaged at the onset in my experience, tend to st- remain uh, engaged. I often tell clients, um, this is back on the napkin, but 40% of people you present an idea to are going to love it. They're going to get all over it. They're going to embrace it. Oh, this is fantastic. I'm all in. 40% will put up with it because they perceive it to be flavor of the week. Right? Sure, I'll go along. 20% tend to fight it. And tend to be, you hate to say cancer, but they are, you know, sometimes they undermine it. Listen, I'm a few years, I've actually been told this. I'm a few years away from retirement. I just, I honestly don't see value in doing this. Or uh, an incredibly arrogant partner at a professional service firm once told me, listen, I made 800K last year. You want me to do all this to do what? Make 850? No, thanks. I kid you not. Right? You can't make some of this stuff up. So uh, I often look for uh, you know, an extremely persistent tendency to get a group of really smart senior people in a room and figure out the answer, and then let's roll it out to the rest of the organization. Uh, it's kind of wrapped up in a really nice gift with a bow. Or you bring a, God forbid, a consulting firm to let's kind of figure out fast and then orchestrate a change management process. What we've seen is People kind of see right through that. And again, I want you to start through by yourself. If you want to lead any kind of thoughtful change effort, right? Um, you have to really think through, and, and I'm a big fa- fan of um, uh, Hal Gergeson because he talks a lot about asking, uh, as does Andrew Sobel, asking great questions, and, and those great questions and that sense of curiosity often leads to answers that are going to lead to buy-in. Buy-in from yourself. You know what? That's a really good question. I don't have an answer. Exploring that is going to help me. And certainly buy-in from a team, from a broader audience that you need to engage. So if you want to start change management right, if you want to make that change really last, you got to start engaging others through great questions. And, and with great questions, by the way, a lot of times you may not have the answer. And that's okay. It's okay that you don't have it. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out as we go. But what it takes is this third point, which is change takes time and patience. Um, working with a client um, through the co-create process. And uh, he point blank asks, this is really difficult, isn't it? 
And I said, yeah, particularly for mature organizations and mature industries, right? You, By the way, you've been successful for a long time doing what you've always done. So asking you to manage that present while we find ways to invent your future, you, be, you better believe it. It is, it is difficult. Number two, it does take time. And he actually says, this is, this is not going to be a quick fix. This is not going to be a overnight thing, is it? I said, most real change isn't. So the reason that most people and teams are so inclined to believe, you know what, if I ignore this long enough, it's also going to go away, is that a lot of organizations have this incredible short-term orientation, right, to have that immediate line of sight and very little patience, very little patience to see the efforts actually produce results. A lot of leaders get bored with that transformational message of here's how we need to evolve long before it's actually been received or internalized or people figure out where the coffee is and how do I actually go apply some of these things. So um, one leader actually told me, well, I already told them, so they already know. Is a mindset that has been disproven a whole bunch of times. So if you believe in real change, if you believe that change has to happen in you, your team, and your organization for you to remain relevant. And that's the real key. If you don't take anything else away from this podcast, you need to hear that. That change is what's going to keep you relevant. Whether you make that in yourself, in a small team, in a large team, in a complex organization, you better be ready for that long tail. Sometimes some of that change takes 18, 36 months to actually materialize to get traction, right? And to fully realize the end result, the outcome of that goal, right? So you have to be patient enough to think of that change as a marathon, not a sprint. It requires more than a checklist. It requires more than a project plan to create a real difference in the outcome. And if you look at more a holistic approach to the people side, to the organizational factors, um, to uh, really sustain this over some period of time, you're going to see the results from it. So those are a couple of things that, again, I think is really critical. It's a mindset shift, a visionary leadership we talked about, getting engaged people out of the gate, really involved through great questions, and really having the patience to see it through beyond any one quarter or beyond the immediate numbers will go a long way. So that's the mindset. The other thing I want you to think about is there's a fundamental difference between change management and really change leadership or this visionary leadership that I talk about. So we, we kind of all know that change is inevitable to us, you know, inevitable, and it happens either to us or for us or with us. I want you to think about it in that, in that approach. Uh, by the way, a recent uh, study found uh, that the disruptive startups are going to shorten the average life cycle of an S&P 500 company, you ready, from 24 years to just 12 years by 2027. So um, M&A, right, uh, industry changes, uh, business model changes, particularly mature companies in mature industries struggle to pivot, struggle to transition leaderships, struggle to shift their lens when they see the market changing all around them. Um, I'm working with one industry leader 
the industry is declining. All the numbers show it. Everybody knows it. And I'm convinced their feet are planted in cement because they're either unwilling or unable to move and, and, and really think about different – and most people think of innovation as a product or service. I actually talked to a lot of leaders about a portfolio approach to business model innovation. That's critical, right? So change management – I said earlier, difference between change management and really change leadership. Change management is typically very reactionary. And it can be seen as a very linear process, right? Or a you know single goal and a preset checklist. Do this, then this, then this, then this, right? These are often defined by change managers, implemented by just the right people. Change management is also seen as this intermittent projects, right? There's a start, there's a middle, there's an end, and we're going to address one or two kind of big ticket items, and we're going to restructure the organization and implement a new, for example, IT system. Change leadership is, number one, much more proactive. Number two, it's an opportunity for growth and really improving that condition, not a finite project, not a finite start, middle, finish. Change leadership is inspiring. It's aspirational. Forget that we've never done it. Do you believe we can do it? Right? And it advocates that vision. It cascades that vision throughout the organization. So it's very much a people-centric approach. So when I say that change has to start with the person in the mirror, has to start with you, you have to really think about how will this affect you? How will this affect the team? What kind of processes, tools? What do we need to come alongside us? What are that supporting infrastructure, the mechanisms to help inside the organization as well as outside of it, right? The other thing is I often talk to clients about, um, think of your closet. If you haven't, let's be honest, if you haven't worn that shirt since 1972, good chance you're not going to wear it next week, right? So our family, you know, on a regular basis, every season, spring and fall, we go through our closets and we empty out things that we're just not wearing. You know what? I thought that sombrero would be a good idea when I was in Mexico, but I haven't worn it really since to a lot of business meetings. So we empty out the closets and we donate them. And only when you make room in that closet, taking out the old, will you have the opportunity to implement new. Same thing with our kind of thinking, processes, what we do and how we do it. So one of the first questions I ask is, what do you need to stop doing? What will you choose to stop doing to really create opportunities to explore this new approach, this new ideas, right? So uh, what do change leaders? I said change management different than change leadership. What do change leaders do differently? A, you have to have a vision. People cannot follow you personally or your team, your organization, if we don't know where the ship is headed. So we like that to be visual, but you need a vision. And number two, a path of how we're going to get there. So here's what I envision us doing differently. Here's the path. Communication. The last uh, research I found said, you want anything to be remembered and repeated, people need to see it seven times, right? So it's not being repetitive or redundant, it's being repetitive, right? That repetition goes a long way in reinforcing the critical idea. So you got to effectively communicate, engage others about where we're going, how we're going to get there. You got to provide the consistent support, right? So change leadership is about here's not just how we're going to get there. Listen, some of you may not know how to do it, 
we may not have a, a line of sight to what that looks like. Here are the support resources, whether it's training or development or tools or resources or coaching, or we're going to change some of the duties. We're going to change some of the um, tools that we may have used. Uh, you know, that process, that report, that website isn't helping us. So here's some things we're going to do a little differently. And again, uh, if you, how do you bite an elephant? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? So too much and you, people tend to get overwhelmed. Even, even the, the, the best thinkers and the calmest heads are going to get overwhelmed. So we believe in this drip or nurture approach of tools and templates. And how do I do three things? How do I do one thing that then starts to build some momentum? Um, you know, people are kind enough to comment that I've got a ton of energy. One of the things we found with change leaders is not just having that initial energy, but sustaining that energy. You remember I said it's a marathon. Those who train for a marathon, it's everything from, you know, leading up to the training, but also it's your nutrition and your workouts and, you know, partners and tools and, you know, again, ways to really prepare for that marathon. You're going to prepare very differently than you would a sprint. So sustaining that energy in the long term really makes a difference. So uh, individuals, teams, organizations that pursue and embrace real change are really well positioned to continue and evolve and grow. And as we're talking about this idea of future of work, um, you know, those that continue to learn and grow are going to be able to adapt versus that resist that change are going to be, let's be, let's be candid, they're going to be complacent. You're going to be complacent as an individual if you resist change, you, you're going to become stagnant as a team. And and we've all seen plenty of organizations that have become extinct because they're unwilling or unable to pursue and embrace change more than just a change management, like I said, process or checklist, leadership, purposeful, provocative leadership. I wrote about that in Co-Create that diligently works to really guarantee the organization's success. So that's the difference between change management, change leadership. Let's talk about uh, some trends that we're seeing. I captured a handful. Um, uh, I'm really excited about uh, organizations or teams or individuals that really are learning in the core business, right? So the value of organization dramatically increases in your ability to learn quickly, so it's not just a department. Learning cannot be a department. I struggle when I see that. It has to be part of the work that you do every day. So uh, Deloitte did a really interesting 2019 human capital trend study, and they found out that 86% of organizations recognize changing the way people learn at work as their biggest organizational development challenge and opportunity. So don't don't abdicate it to this department. Don't set aside time to learn. You gotta be in that continuous learning mode, right? Um, AI. Uh, we talked about technology as one of the fifteen forces that we believe are going to impact the future of the way we work. AI is a big part of that. So practical applications of machine learning and AI are starting to enter the market in a really different kind of fields within organizational learning within that change process. It's really the, the opportunity to uh, have these engines help people connect with topics and each other based on their needs, right? So knowledge management has been a challenge for a long time, right? Instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, how can I quickly figure out who else in the organization has done something like this that I can learn from? And it goes back to that learning quickly. How can we quickly learn? Uh, sense making. Uh, this is a, a fascinating idea of 
um, the, the, the market around us is changing so fast that everyone needs to be able to participate in not just seeing the data and seeing the reports, but synthesizing it and making sense of it. So, um, you know, in this idea of future of work, your ability to quickly adapt and apply new information is going to become more important than any of your hard skills, right? So sense making, um, like team building, like coaching, it can be seen as really a, an enduring, really capability, and it's much more and it's much more transferable as a skill to different roles, different situation, different parts of the organization. So, uh, I was talking to another leader about uh, attracting talent and developing that talent. Those uh, generalists, but also deep generalists, right? That are very multifaceted players become a big asset in different parts of the organization. So, sense making. Uh, we're seeing as really interesting trend in in organizations, individuals, teams, and organizations that can actually make change work. Uh, purpose built, uh, you know, Simon Sinek's of the world, and really understanding uh, why, right? So purpose is really built with uh, participatory ways of working. So it's really difficult to communicate that purpose with a traditional one way message, right? Here's my billboard of why we need to change and how we're going to do it. You need to engage other people to participate and really jump in. And we love dialogues. We love opportunities to really understand that purpose. Um, if you don't uh, lead with that purpose, if you don't drive that purpose continuously, people, yourself, number one, but also others are going to lose sight of why we're doing this. Um, we talked about this earlier in terms of change management, change leadership. It cannot be an event. You cannot think of change as a flipping the switch. It's a dial, right? And it's all about that continuous development. So um, it has to be seen as a process. It has to be seen as an ongoing learning uh, and developing an opportunity, right? So it's it's not a plan. It's an ongoing approach. Uh, if you want real change, you, you need to have a general direction of where we're going, uh, but you also have to be comfortable, and I've said this to to other clients, get comfortable being uncomfortable because I don't quite – I can't see it, but I know the general path of where we're going. Um, it's also about real changes about facilitating that dialogue, right? So I often talk about introspection with yourself. What's working for me? What's not working for me? What do I need to think and do things differently? But also facilitating that dialogue with others, right? So people you respect, people you trust – Hey, listen, how can we do this? I've always said no is intellectually lazy. How can we get through this obstacle? How can we find a creative way? What has worked? What hasn't? Who else can we learn from? Again, dad drove into me. Life's too short to make all the mistakes yourself. How do we learn from other people's kind of challenges? Uh, and then, you know, we're seeing a lot of interesting trends in digitalization. Say that fast three times. Is really even transforming the most um, harden most traditional organizations, right? So, uh, it's again, it, I don't think it's a trend anymore. It's a reality that we are in uh, stages where organizations are are unable to really transform, unable to make any kind of changes without dramatically integrating digital ways of working, digital ways of getting things done. There's just way too much information way too much demands of us you know throughout the day without 
um, transparent, real processes and digital technologies tools to really drive that. So those are just some of the trends we're seeing in the market. Um, let me switch over to uh, change management frameworks. Number one, I've been through, at last count, some nine different change management um, processes. Let me just uh, rattle off some of the ones that I've been through uh, that I think would be really useful for you to look up. And again, we'll reference these uh, in the show notes and the blog article. Cotter, uh, years ago, John Cotter came up with the eight process for leading change. So create, build, form, enlist, enable, uh, generate, sustain, institute. McKinsey has got their 7S framework, style, skill, systems, structure, staff, strategies that all lead to shared values and goals. Uh, Kurt Lewin has got a change model. Uh, Adcar, I've been through that one. Uh, the Kubler-Ross model, uh, you know, shock, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Um, Satir, change management model, um, you know, late status quo leads to resistance, leads to chaos. Then you integrate and you create new status quo. And William Bridges has got a really transitional model that's kind of interesting. So um, what they're all have in common is you got to – I'm going to break it down to five steps, right? Evaluate the change that's going to impact you and the organization and how ready are you for it. Really formulating kind of that process. What do we need to think about? Again, I'm a big believer of great questions. How do we come up with steps, processes? What are the sequences, things we need to think about? How do we actually execute and, and learn in real time? And more importantly, again, never a uh, start, stop, and finish, but how do we continue to learn with, through metrics, through milestones, through that continuous kind of process? What I have learned is... There are some critical questions that you need to ask yourself and people are going to look to you for answers, right? So number one is, and we talked about this whole purpose, you know, why um, I will change my mindset and behaviors if this is a really good way for you to think about uh, these four buckets that I want you to think about, right? Again, I will change my mindset and behaviors if number one you personally, but also with a team and organization, foster really an understanding and a real conviction for what's being asked of you, why we need to do this, why is this critical, why does this make sense, right? So going going after that whole purpose, why it works, right? People are going to always look for, you are as well, right? And again, that self-awareness Tasha Yurik, which is also one of the future podcast uh, guests, talks a lot about that. That self-awareness you're looking for, as other people will as well, congruence between your beliefs and actions, right? So why often inspires people to behave uh, in supporting of that change? So really important for you to get crystal clear on why we need to do it. Listen, I I can be comfortable and I can do okay. The reason I'm, I'm... Approaching this change, approaching this effort to do something differently is because it's going to dramatically improve, elevate, enhance, uh, make what I do more efficient. I've always said will keep me relevant. The reason uh, I learned LinkedIn so many years ago was I saw a trend of relationships, some aspects of relationships going digital, 
right? And I invested time and effort to get to learn that tool. And I taught a lot of clients about it, right? Speaking at different events. And, and we did LinkedIn training with a bunch of different clients because I saw the digitalization of those connections, right? From the initial connections to due diligence to staying in touch with them, I still don't believe it replaces you and I meeting in person. But again, that why for me was this is a trend that's not gonna go away and the sooner I embrace it, the more impactful it's gonna be. So uh, number two, again, I will change my mindset and behaviors if it's reinforced with formal mechanisms, right? So we look for... Is it working? Is my progress actually making a difference, right? So individuals uh, associate uh, and look at both positive and negative, so consequences as well as success in how it shapes their behavior. So organizations that reinforce the wrong things or if they don't, if there's structure, processes, systems to support the changes I'm being asked aren't in place, people are going to struggle. So as you think about change for yourself, again, is the structure, processes, systems, tools, right, time, bandwidth, is all that ecosystem either in place or are you on your way to creating that environment to succeed? Otherwise, you're going to struggle, right? So again, uh, purpose, why? Why do we need to do this? How do I align beliefs and actions? Right, fostering that understanding, that conviction, but also reinforcing it with formal ecosystem, with with resources, with tools, with bandwidth, uh, to kind of make that progress. Next is my skills, my talent, my behaviors. Um, in previous podcasts, we talked about reskilling, upskilling, redeploying. So, do I have you yourself are going to ask, but certainly others are going to ask. Do I have the skills? Do I have the opportunity? to behave in the new way. And what's really critical, I said it earlier, you got to find ways to manage the present while you invent your future, right? So you can teach. I always struggle when people say you can't teach a, an old dog new trick. In fact, that's not true, right? Our remains are very uh, elastic and, and we continue to learn. We learn. And that, that learning is critical if you want that change to really last. Um, last but not least are leadership uh, and often relationship role models and behaviors, right? So if I see my leader, if I see my colleagues, if I see others behaving differently, I'm much more likely to embrace it. So people often mimic individuals or groups who surround them, right? And, and sometimes consciously, a lot of times unconsciously, right? So um, in our, a lot of in our training, a lot of in our programs, we create this idea of an accountable peer. You actually pick an individual in the workshop where you're going to hold each other accountable over the next 30, 60, 90 days. I'm doing that. We do that to really show, demonstrate that others are willing to take those initial steps with you and, and somebody to compare notes with. So if you did it, great. How did it go? If you didn't do it, why not? And more importantly, what has to happen? This is the whole relational part. What has to happen for you to believe, change your mindset, change your behaviors, and believe that a new approach could actually be you know, dramatically more productive. So um, four, think of this as four building blocks for making real change work. Uh, again, a quick recap. 
uh, fostering and really understanding and a conviction about the why, why we're going this direction, how we're going to get there, reinforcing it with formal ecosystem, with tools, with, with mechanics, with resources for me to get there, um, my skills, my talent, my knowledge, and am I prepared to uh, do what you're asking me to do, what I need to do differently? And last but not least, role models. Can I find others who've done this? Can I find, can I uh, watch my leaders, my staff behaving differently? Can I uh, mimic other individual behaviors and, and create similar results that they've, they've achieved. So in the last few minutes of the podcast, I mentioned, let me, let me touch up on um, really some counterintuitive insights about uh, how we've seen individuals, teams, and organizations interpret their environment and really choose to act differently. Uh, I mentioned John Cotter. He published, by the way, if you haven't uh, founded Leading Change, a great book, I think back in the mid-90s. Um, it was considered, you know, incredibly seminal work in the field of change management back then. And, and what he what he revealed was that only about thirty percent of change management, you know, programs actually succeed. Um, you know, since then, thousands I mentioned earlier, thousands of books, journal articles have been published on the idea. Um, McKinsey interviewed. I found a fascinating research. Some four thousand executives around the world um, that only one in three transformations and real change succeed. So. Uh, just again, I've captured just some of the notes in um, our ability to work with a lot of different teams, a lot of different organizations. So um, here are um, some of the behaviors, right? We talked about a compelling story, right? So you've got to appeal, and you may have heard me say this before, appeal to their logical self-interest. Appeal to your own logical self-interest first, but also, if you want to try to engage others to kind of go along with you, I've always believed that a mentor's driven into me appeal to their logical self-interest. So a compelling story, they got to see the point of that change and agree with it, right? So not just we should change because, we should change because this is how we remain relevant. This is how we remain competitive. This is how we'll grow. This is how you'll benefit, right? So it always starts with that, again, why the compelling reason, the vision of where we're going, how we're going to get there. Two, we talked about role modeling, right? So in a recent um, event, I had a uh, a very seasoned CEO. Uh, she was sitting back of the room and, um, you know, we were doing an exercise with a group and and uh, and and she didn't want to participate. And I went over there and I said, um, uh, what you do speaks far greater volume than what you say you do. And we just kind of had a brief chat. And I said, these people need to see that you believe in this, not just by saying it, but by doing it. And And I was so incredibly both pleased and proud that she got up and she got engaged and she actually did some of the stuff with us and and she was as busy as this woman is and, and an incredible leader. Um, she made the time to be with the team and we went through it and you know she also was very vulnerable in saying, listen, we don't have the answers, but this is why we're here. This is what we're trying to do with this, right? So that role modeling, because people need to see that CEO and their colleagues, they often admire behave in a new way, reinforcing mechanisms. We talked about this, right? Systems, processing, incentives. They've got to be in line with the new behavior, right? And the capability building. So those are the four things I just talked about. So let me give you, uh, again, I've just captured a, a list of about eight things 
Um, what motivates you, this is really important, doesn't motivate most others. So motivation isn't one size fits all. And again, great way to get there is through questions. Hey, listen, I, I kind of know why we need to do this. Why do you think or what would be important to you in us making this journey and us doing things a little differently? Um, number two, uh, you're, betting, uh, you're better off kind of let them create their own story. So I've always believed that a leader should have a vision and a path of how we're going to get there, but let them create their own path. Let them create their own uh, direction, right? Uh, my wife and I, you know, I like back roads and I like shortcuts and she'll take the highway and not right or wrong, just different. And I promise you, we'll get to the same destination. Um, a lot of times, very similar times, but I'm challenged by, ooh, is there a better way, a faster way to get there, right? So you're better off letting people kind of create their own story, their own path and journey to get there. Um, it takes a yes and, which is, by the way, another great book, uh, and not uh, no but, right? So it takes a story with both yes and, with both um, things that work, things that don't work, to create real energy. Um, it's uh, human nature to try some things. And you know what? They're not all going to work. And if my hand gets slapped, I'm never going to try that again. Conversely, if I'm encouraged for trying new things and I'm, it's reinforced and I'm supported and I know you, you've got my back as a manager, as a leader, then I'm much more willing to learn from that. And again, uh, Gary Ridge is a friend and CEO of the WD40, and I hope to have him on a future podcast, but I love his comment that we don't fail. We have learning moments. If you celebrate those learning moments, if you learn from both the positive and negative uh, and really uh, approach it in, I'm going to try, I'm going to implement what I just learned in the very next opportunity, I think it'll be dramatically more impactful. Um, leaders a lot of times believe uh, that they're already doing that change. Oh, we're already doing that, right? Um, <laughs> what did Gandhi say? Be the change you want to see in the world. So if they, like the CEO woman that I mentioned, if leaders commit themselves to personally role modeling that desired behavior, then it makes um, that change significantly more impactful, right? So the challenge is, if you already believe you're already doing it versus how do I learn more? How do I continue to grow in this process? Five, uh, influence leaders, right? Those fantastic um, relationships aren't the only ones that can make change happen, right? Change really takes you as an individual, but also the broader team to kind of jump in and collaborate together uh, because again, different environments, different backgrounds, different experiences. Six, um, money is the most expensive way to motivate people. So, uh, people who try to, you know, uh, try to link, uh, the objectives of this change to compensation find that it rarely enhances that motivation for change to the extended desired, right? So, uh, the reason, um, is, is for this is psychological, Right? The reality is the vast majority of companies, um, it's really difficult to incorporate meaningful link to change programs with compensation. So also, by the way, studies have found that humans, uh, you know, are, are, are satisfaction, our satisfaction typically equals perception, 
minus expectation, right? Said another way, create outcomes and goals that they're after uh, without necessarily tying it to comp. Comp is important. Comp often drives behaviors, but it can be the only reason people do something. You have to see your relevance as that motivation, not just I'm going to make more money. Don't make a mistake about it. Money's important, but that relevancy is even more important, I would submit. Uh, again, in the um, blog, in the article, we'll, we'll create links to recommended readings. There's some fascinating uh, – I'm looking at a list of research from Cotter uh, to others that we found that I think would be really, really useful. Um, eight, employees are what they think, feel, and believe in. Others are what they think, feel, and believe in, Right? So if you want to create real change, they have to think, feel, and believe in what we're doing, where we're going, how we're going to get there. If they don't, it'll be superficial. It'll be a mask. So that's really important to drive and really understand what they believe, how they think, why they think that way, and what they believe will be impactful. Uh, Nine, uh, good intentions aren't enough. Uh, I've been involved with engagements where the leader had great intentions, where the person had really good intentions, um, right? You got to build the skills. You got to you know, really listen proactively. Uh, you've got to uh, create follow through, which is a process, not follow up, which is a transaction. That's why we like cadence. That's why you've heard me talk about 30, 60, 90 day plans. So if you want real change to last, it cannot be an event. It has to be an ongoing effort, uh, and that takes more than just good intentions. It has to be proactive. It has to be reinforced with what you do and how you do it. Um, So those are just some of the, again, um, uh, interesting perspectives, interesting approaches to things. So last but not least, I want to share with you, again, I captured some notes of uh, why people resist change, and we'll wrap it up with this. I've always believed that people actually don't resist change. They resist being changed, right? So here's some things that, that we've seen. Uh, there's, number one, uh, lack of uh, clear future direction. I've said this before. People cannot follow you if they don't know where the ship is headed. So reinforce a clear direction, where we're going, how we're going to get there. People want control. If there's lack of control, lack of autonomy, listen, I appreciate your way, but let me find my own way to get there. Um, people want to save face, right? So nobody likes to be embarrassed. Nobody likes to feel like, um, you know, they made a mistake. So if you want that change to really last, you got to reassure people that, you know, the past isn't necessarily bad or wrong. That is, as again, Gary Rich says, we don't make mistakes. We, we have learning moments and how do we learn and grow through those? And you got to keep them from getting their hands slapped, right? So you blowing up, over something, uh, right? Having an aneurysm over something that, you know what, a couple of aspirins uh, should have resolved isn't going to help. Um, on that note, people want security, right? So neurologically, right, we want to reduce the threat and achieve security. So if this change is going to make any part of my world insecure, you're going to get resistance. Um, people want to be competent. So that's why we don't do a training session. We like to do a series of events, uh, not events, but a series of learning opportunities. So it's reinforced because it builds that competency and people are going to resist changing behaviors and thinking if they don't know what to do or how to do it. Uh, people also want continuous connection with others. This has been my life's work for the last you know, 20 years. 
um, regardless of their their personality preferences. They need time alone. They need time together with coworkers. That's why that accountable peer is you make time to connect with others. Um, you have questions about work. You have uh, creating environments where you can ask those questions and compare notes. So those are some of the biggest reasons we've pe- seen people resist change. And again, I'm going to uh, uh, hopefully recommend, suggest you check out uh, the article in the blog. So hope uh, this session, again, there's a lot we could say about change. I reference it throughout the book. Hope this has been useful to you. As a reminder, David Hutchins, masterful storyteller on leadership and influence is our next guest in the next uh, uh, episode, episode 12, Future of Storytelling with David Hutchins. So I hope you'll come back. Again, give me a few days and we'll get the show notes and article cleaned up and this in our blog, which is just norgroup.com slash blog. Thanks, everybody. Questions, comments, please send to podcast at norgroup.com. If you've listened to the Curvebenders podcast recently, you've heard that I'm working on the Curvebenders book. This will be my book number 11 with tools, insights, case studies, examples, interviews, in essence, the knowledge you need to create a personal and professional growth roadmap in this idea of future of work. I'm excited to share key sections with the first 100 participants, so go reserve your spot at norgroup.com today. If you go all the way to the bottom of the page in the get in touch section, just capture somewhere Curve Bender Insights. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Curve Benders podcast on the incredibly powerful and necessary focus on making and sustaining real change in our professional lives. From vision to engagement, over-communicating, celebrating successes, and reinforcing what works, every one of us has a decision to make. You can initiate change or react to pressures forcing us and our organization's evolution. Intentionally defining and designing a compelling future state vision that compels us to move as well as wins the hearts and minds of our colleagues is core to making real change last. Don't forget, I turned the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles, so check them out on our website at norgroup.com slash blog. I'm so thankful for our listeners on the Curvebenders podcast. I want to keep producing great content most beneficial to your personal and professional growth in this idea of future of work, so I'd love to hear your feedback. Don't forget to follow us on the various social media channels. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm using the hashtag CurvebendersPodcast, so make sure you follow that for all of our latest updates. 